My name is Blair. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're continuing a series that we've started. We're in the middle of it, and we've called it The Stories We Tell Ourselves. And we're doing this series because I'm convinced that all of us tell some stories to ourselves that become, well, not so helpful in our lives. And so we've been looking at them. And the first week we talked about these big defining stories that we, we look through. Our world has been messed with by sin. It's touched your life in some way. And what can happen with that is you can end up looking through a lens where you believe that what you see is reality. And until God comes and redefines what that is, you're living a life based on something that isn't true. And so we talked about those big defining things that kind of shape our world. Last week, we looked at the opposite, like a micro story, a statement that comes flying out of nowhere into our minds. These are situational where something's happening, and many times you would just ignore it, but there are occasions where that thought enters your mind, and it runs and runs and runs its course until it dominates your thoughts, and it starts to shape the situation that you're in. They're very accusatory. They come from people who are not aligned with God. They come from God's enemies, and sometimes we live out our lives based on accusations from God's enemies. And so we, we talked about what do we do when those little things come into our lives. Well, uh, today we're going to look at another thing. It's, it's, it's a story that we tell ourselves based on a situation that we all experience. And I, I, wanna under, I want you to understand it because the goal, the hope, is that you can have a different outcome than what you're currently getting right now. That God will change the way you look at things. And we're, we're doing this because there's a section of Scripture in Romans chapter 12, it's 1 and 2, that talks about what God wants from us. He wants us to live sacrificially. Well, why would we sacrifice the way we live? Because of God's great grace. His great love for us. And out of that, we want to respond in a way that honors him. And what God asks for, he wants this one thing from us. I don't want you to conform to this world. There are patterns that, is in, that are in this world that we follow. How do you know if it's a pattern of this world? There's a good chance if everybody is doing it, it's a pattern of this world. Because everybody doesn't want to follow after God. Everybody doesn't care about what God wants or his ways. And so if you find yourself thinking like everybody else does in the culture, you might be going down the wrong path. It would be a good gut check. But what he wants, he goes, I want you to sacrifice the stuff that goes on in your mind. What you think, what you believe, what you accept to be true. This is why it's so hard. It's one of the one places where we feel like we, we're master, we're king. You can tell me what I have to do, and you can maybe even make me do it, but you can't make me have the right attitude. I can choose that. I can have whatever thought I want, and you can't do anything about it. And over that domain, I am king, and that's part of the problem. Because what happens if you're king of your domain, but you're looking through a lens that's wrong? What happens if you're king of your domain, but you've listened to an accusation of the enemy and it's shaping the way you live? What if it's spilling into other areas, common areas of our life, and the way we're responding is the opposite of what God would want to see out of our lives? And because we're masters, we just keep going our way. What would it look like? 
What would change if God became the master storyteller of your life? That's what we're exploring. That's what we're trying to figure out. And so we're looking at different areas where we tell ourselves stories. And the, the one area I want to look at today happens in something that's been around for thousands of years. It's, it's always going to be around. It's never going to go away. And so how we learn to deal with it is important. It's one word. It happens in the area of conflict. And if I were um, putting my finger on a hot-button topic right now, I would say that we are experiencing plague-like levels of conflict in our culture right now. And, I mean, mean, there's some easy, low-picking fruit. You just reach out and go, okay, yeah, we could talk politics, we could talk masks, we could talk shots, right? And everybody go, oh, let's do that and cause lots of problems. But here's the issue. All of those things... They're part of the problem because everybody is arguing about that stuff. And so when you have your own situation where you feel like there's some conflict, you don't think it's important. You don't think it's that big of a deal how you deal with it. And I want to tell you right now, the layer right below that, I have never seen it so bad. I have never seen so much conflict in the workplace, between parents and kids, between friends, between spouses, the stuff where this gets personal, this is erupting at record levels. And the way we're dealing with it, terrible. It's it's causing all kinds of problems. Now, here's what's funny. We found a song that I think best represents the way our culture thinks about this whole situation of conflict right now. And when I shared it with Luis, he was like, are you sure? And I was like, oh, yes, I'm sure. Because it's meant to be a funny song, but it's an uncomfortable funny song, which is why I thought it would be funny to do it, right? We're going to make everybody uncomfortable because you're going to laugh, and then you're going to go, am I supposed to laugh? Yeah, it's okay. It's that kind of song, all right? But we're going to play this for you, and then we're going to get back up, and we're going to keep going. Song on how our culture views conflict. Check this out. All right, yeah. It's over. Now you get to turn to your neighbor and tell them who you hope will hurry up and die, right? Don't do that. Don't do that. But I'm telling you, this is the way we think. And as awkward as that song was, um, it is kind of the way things are going in our culture right now. I'd rather you just disappeared than to actually have a conversation with you. And the reason this is worse, worse than I've ever seen it before, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think... I don't want to spend a lot of time in that because I don't think we can actually solve that problem. I think the last 18 months have been very stressful on people as a whole. And I think there's been some um, social isolation where people would normally actually talk to each other face to face. But they didn't have that. But they still had a mechanism where they could still talk. And so they shouted out into the universe through all of these digital formats where they could keep their opinion alive and known, but they didn't actually have to sit across from another human being and see them react and respond to it. Listen, follower of Jesus, stop it. It's not helping our world right now. It's, it's, we, we've got epidemic levels of conflict going on. Have those with each other face-to-face, but stop using that medium. It is not solving anything. It is making stuff worse. That's one, that's one thing I see happening. The other one is kind of the opposite. You were isolated with somebody. 
And all of a sudden, you're spending a whole lot more time with them than you did before. And you suddenly realize they're very annoying. Like, I can't believe they're doing that kind of stuff. Why didn't I see it before? We should have a conversation about that. But the conversation doesn't go well. And so we have all of these reasons why this stuff is kicked up. And I'm not so much interested in the reasons why. Because I think conflict will be around for the rest of your life. There, there's too many differences in our lives. We can't agree on everything. So we will have disagreements. That's going to happen. The question is how? How do we do that? How do we do that with each other in these close family ties, these friendships that we have that seem to be splintering apart really quickly right now? What I want to deal with is something that I think is making it worse, something I think we could change if we wanted to, because I believe that the stories we tell ourselves make things worse. We have stories that we tell ourselves about conflict and those stories, those stories fill our minds with negativity. And we know it's not helpful. We know it's not good. In fact, we can look in the scriptures and it's very clear what God says we should be thinking about. This, this is the kind of stuff that should fill our minds. Paul gets inspired in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 8 he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's quite a list. And why would you do it? Well, because at the bottom of verse 9, where he's talking about, look, if you've seen this in me, do it. And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. I would hazard a guess that most of us are not experiencing a sense of peace in the conflicts that we have with each other. They're devoid of even ending with peace because these things that we're called to think about, we actually misuse in the process of telling a story. See, these show up, but they show up in a weird way. Because one of the things that we think we need to do in order to have a good conflict with somebody is we think we need to prepare for it. And so in preparing for it, we go through a whole process. And one of the things that we do is we tell ourselves a story. And you know what we do? We tell ourselves that we're right, they're wrong. That our version of reality is true, theirs is not. That we are more noble for standing up for what we're after. That there's nothing admirable in what they've said or done. And all of these things enter into our story in a negative way. They're a negative light. And it's not shocking, it shouldn't be, that what happens is we end up with no peace. A sense of tension and contention. There is, at record levels right now, conflict at the relational level. You all know that... Um, Mental health issue is high on the list right now. Counselors are overwhelmed with it. The same counselors who are dealing with interpersonal conflicts have seen an 800% increase in requests for meetings over the last year. 
This is, this is serious stuff. So I want to try to find a way to help us deal with something that if we could make a small change on, it could change the way we interact. Now, I'm convinced that the stories we tell ourselves, I think there's a lot of them. I think there's a lot of ways that we do it. I just want to deal with two major ways that we tell stories in conflict that shape the way the conflict goes. Um, the first one, the first one is a story that we tell ourselves that we have to do in order to be properly prepared for the argument. It's a preparation argument. And so what we do is we think up the best arguments that we could make. We then consider what they might say back, and we consider the best counter arguments that we might make. And we try to figure out the best way to express my dissatisfaction for what you've done and how you've done it. And that becomes the sole focus of the story that we tell. By the way, in that story, you are the hero. You're right. You're standing up against their wrong. You're justified in whatever emotion that you have. There's nothing in what they would say that would be admirable or good. Um, I mean, you craft the story in a way that it just, it eliminates all of the, or the Philippians 4, 8 stuff right out of the story. It fills your heart with negativity. And the problem is, if you think you can approach a story, a, a conflict, with negativity and find some sort of solution, you're kidding yourself. Let me give you an example. I, um, I've done this a lot in my life. I'm finding that I want to stop doing it because of how unhelpful it is. And so I've had more success at stopping it. But I still do this all the time. I have to catch myself and realize that's what's happening. And I could point to all kinds of examples, but I'm going to give you a dumb, silly one. Like, but it's real. Like, it's happened. All right? So I walk in my house. And when I do some evenings, I find every light in the house has been turned on. The laundry room is on. The hallway is on. I don't know why. We never turn that light on. The bedroom light is on. The bathroom light is on. The closet light is on. She's not in any of those rooms. No, she's not. Because I looked. And that light was also on. The living room light is on, the kitchen light is on, the dining room light is on, and I look up the stairs, and the hallway upstairs is on, and I realize she's upstairs doing homework in a room with a light on, right? And as I walk around the house, shutting off every light in the house, I am preparing to have a discussion with my wife about the terrible waste of energy and how ridiculous this is, right? And I'm trying to make sure that I express how silly this whole situation is. And I come up with a pretty good argument in my head. And then I realize I know her. I know what she's going to say. So when she says that, I'm going to have to have a counter-argument ready. And so I prepare 
a counter-argument. <laughs> it's good. I'm like, whoa, that is fantastic. I'm going to lay that out. How do you like them apples, baby? Right? I'm feeling, woo! And then I realize, she's not going to like them apples. Like, and she's, she's going to find a flaw in what I just said. And there's going to be some pushback. And, and I think of what the pushback will be, and I'm like, that is outrageous. I can't believe she would say something like If she's going to say something like that, I'm going to come back big. Let's go. Boom. <laughs> and I'm pretty confident at that point, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Like, it's over. I scored. That was big. That was a big argument. And then I realized, I, I know her, the audacity of this woman. She's going to keep going. And I'm, now I'm ticked. I am fuming. We haven't had a single word exchanged with each other, and I'm upset. Because I'm pretty sure how this is going to go. Here's the deal. It's just the story I told myself. And it's not just a story I told myself. Because what I just did was I created a path for us to go down. And as soon as I start that argument, I've got stuff prepared in my head that I'm going to say. I don't actually have to have a conversation with her. I'm just going to launch. And I'm ready. And, and here's the problem. If you do that enough, you can actually create a pattern in your life that's a habit. And so the conflicts that you have become this habitual thing where you repeat over and over and over the way that you interact with each other. It's not healthy and good. And it all started because you told yourself a story that you believed and that you moved forward. Can I ask, can I ask this question? How many of you would be willing to admit right now that you've had the argument in your head before you had the argument. Anybody? Anybody? A few? Oh, a lot more honest people in this service than the first service. There were like seven people who went, I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Like we do this, right? Here's the problem. When you write a story about the conflict before it happens, you're actually not trying to solve it. You're trying to win it. And they're completely different goals. Do you know God allows conflict for a good reason? God allows conflict into your life so that you can go to somebody and learn what's going on. Like, I just, tell me what's actually happening with you. And you learn about something, and then you, you talk out that difference that you have, and then you come up with some sort of compromise. Either one of you compromises or the other compromises, or you realize we can't make a compromise on this. I'm going to have to learn to live with it. And you make choices that grow you and make you better because of it. It's a gift of God into your life. But when your solution is to win, it's going to go downhill fast. Because their problem will be that they're going to actually have to fight it out with you. She's actually going to have to beat you down and defend herself, or he's going to have to put up some guards, and both of you now have a pattern 
where you're trying to win because one feels I have to defend myself, I'm going to blame you and I'm trying to blame you and nothing ever gets solved. In fact, if you think you won in that moment, all that you did was get a temporary truce because the other person is over in the corner of the room telling themselves a story about how the next conflict's going to go and they're going to be more prepared the next time. They're going to take it to the next level. Let me just tell you this. The scriptures that were written thousands of years ago, they've done research that agree with it. I want to, I want to tell you what the scriptures say. This is a proverb. Thousands of years ago, this proverb was written. It says this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know what they've discovered in research with, about conflict? If you can start slow, if you don't start with supercharged emotions, if you don't start, which is what a story does, it's, it supercharges you with emotions, it gives you an attitude, it gives you a bent, a way to you already thinking about things. If you don't start with any of that stuff and you just slow and you just say, this is a concern that I have, I'm really upset about this, can we have this conversation? And you actually start that way, they found that oftentimes you can come to a resolution with each other. But when you start with a burst of anger because you're already carrying it into the conversation, you, are, you go from zero to 100 almost instantly, you're, and it didn't happen instantly. You told yourself a story that got you there, but you're hot. And when you start off, your blood pressure's up, your heart is racing, you're filled with emotion. You know what they found? You have a 0% chance of solving anything. Because it puts the other person on defense, you're on defense, and nothing ever gets resolved. Maybe it gets buried. Maybe it gets hidden. But this stuff is destructive. What God had in mind was that you would have a gentle way to go about this. And the stories that we tell ourselves set us up for a supercharged, energized conversation that hasn't even happened yet. And yet it shaped the way we think. There's nothing gentle about the approach. There's nothing where you seek understanding. There is no no words but harsh ones. And you've stirred up anger, and then you wonder why we can't resolve this conflict. If you look over and over in the scriptures, it seems like everywhere we turn where we're given instruction about how to have conflict, we're violating the rules. When it comes to the stories that we tell ourselves, this is James chapter 1. Again, guys inspired to speak to all of us about how we should act towards each other. He says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. A story that we tell ourselves violates every one of those things. You didn't listen. You thought you knew what they would say, and you listened to an imaginary conversation that you had in your head that got you worked up. You're not slow to speak in your mind. You're 
you're witty. Like, your logic is brilliant. I don't know about you, but most of the conversations I have in my head right before the conflict, I win because it's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, this is fantastic. That's the, that's the most logical thing that you could ever, how could she not agree with this? And yet I know it's not reality because that's not how it turns out more often than not. Slow to become angry? Here's what's so weird about this. You have this conversation in your head where you win and you're still ticked off. How is that? How is that? Because you know it's not actually resolved. And none of this conforms to what God had in mind when it came to how we would interact with each other. Where we would sit down and actually seek to understand what... What is bothering that other person or what they missed about why they're bothering you? And you explain it in a kind and loving way. And then you, like, yeah, you're upset, but you have the conversation where you listen instead of going to instant anger. Instead, that desire to win becomes the goal. And because you want to win, and you put them in a defensive place, they want to win. And all it does is escalate, escalate, escalate. And we are living in a world where things have been so escalated, people are seeking counsel at record rates. And they think the problem lies with this other person who doesn't get it and doesn't understand. And you've never stopped to examine if part of the problem is the story that you've been telling that got you wound up and fired up before you even had the conversation, that overheated this thing before you even started. You're not preparing. You're not. What you're doing is you're creating a path that you do not want to go down. I found it much more advantageous for me to just talk to my wife than to prepare a place for us to go that will end badly. Now there's a second type. This one's, um, this one's hard too. The second type of story we tell ourselves defines the problem without all the information. Um, you see a situation, you hear a comment made, uh, you see them do something and the conclusion that you come to is that I think they intended this. I think they meant that. And you create a story that fills in all the blanks of what has been left out. And, and this is hard because there have been a few times, this has happened with uh, both of us, my wife and I both have had this situation where we've been in arguments with each other and we were so confused about what was happening. Like, I feel like I should defend myself, but I'm not sure what I'm defending myself against. Like, what is happening right here? And the other person's really upset, and you know they're upset. And as they kind of tell you about some of the things you're upset, you're scratching your head because it never happened. Like, I don't know what's going on here. What happened was there was an insecurity in me, that when I saw them, when I saw her say or do this, that thing erupted in me, 
And because I felt that insecurity, I assumed I knew how the story went, and so I wrote it. And it was enough for me to be upset. It was enough for me to withdraw. It was enough for me to want to have a conversation with her where I would speak my mind. And she's confused as can be. Now listen, we've, we have found that there's something that helps diffuse this quite a bit, but you have to be careful how you use this. You have to use this in a gentle way. Because if you use it with sarcasm, if you use it with any kind of attitude at all, it's not going to be helpful. But we have discovered that we can look at each other in these moments when we're just, like, we, we don't know why we're even having this argument right now. And we will ask this simple question calmly. We will say, can you please tell me the story that you're writing right now? Like, what, what story is in your head that I don't understand, that I need to, that I need to like, fully grasp here? And what that means for both of us is that we need to take a step back and just say, hey, this is what I think I understand is happening right now. And I don't know how many times we've had conversations where the other person was like, oh, that's what you think? I never did that. Like, I never intended that. I never said that. I never went there. I never did. Like, that, that never was a part of what happened. What was a part of what happened was the insecurity that took over. And instead, what got stirred up in us was this discomfort. And I've realized what I was doing was I wasn't following some more advice found in the Scripture. This is, again, helpful for us to figure out how we're supposed to interact with each other. Listen, this is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, when I unburdened myself from this made-up story that I had in my mind, who I thought it would benefit was me. And whether you like it or not, the unwholesome talk that comes out of your mouth, it starts as thoughts. It starts in your mind. And many of them start with these stories that we tell ourselves that aren't based on anything that's real. And then we launch into it. There's no benefit whatsoever for anybody. And yet we're going. In fact, we're warned what to get rid of in the process of interacting with each other. It's in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness, raging anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I don't know about you, but that really undercuts most of my arguments. Like that, that takes the life right out of them. Because the, the stuff I'm upset about, I want to deliver in a significant way. And I can't. And yet this kind of stuff is become acceptable in the way that we argue, the way that we speak and talk with each other. In fact, it's become so acceptable. We have this thing. I'm starting, I'm starting to rethink how I would even do this with people. We have this thing where somebody comes to us and says, I just want to vent. And we think, as deep, 
good friends that we're just going to let them say whatever they have to say, and then they get to go away, and it's no big deal. But what I've come to realize is what happens when somebody chooses to vent like that is they're reinforcing their story, and I've never said anything about it. I never asked a question. I never said, are you sure that that's the way God views us? Have you slowed down? Because it sounds like you're full of rage. You're full of anger. It sounds like you're full of the stuff that God wants you to get rid of. And yet this has become the way we interact. What should we choose instead? Verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. We just came full circle. Why are we making these decisions to transform our minds? Because of God's great grace and love. And right here, we're making a choice to be kind, to be compassionate, to forgive one another, just as God gave for, forgave us. Why would we do that? Because we have a desire to honor God in the conflicts that we have. Listen, I understand there are big things at time. But the way we have gone about solving most of the conflicts, listen, I talk to people all the time, and I hear story after story that they have told themselves, and I know this happens because I do it too, and you are not serving anybody. There is not an ounce of kindness. There is not an ounce of compassion. There is not a sense of forgiveness in the story that you tell like that. And you miss honoring God with a way that we're actually supposed to to have conflicts. You're going to have them. You can't stop that. But what God had in mind was that they would be done differently. That you, as a follower of Jesus, would actually have a light to shine. And one of the ways it would show up in your lives is the way you have a conflict. It's just different. You still talk it out. You hear what they have to say. You listen. But you do it with kindness and compassion. And that would be my challenge for you this morning. I, I guess I would just ask you, have you been telling yourself a story about a conflict that you're in right now? Have you realized sitting there that you have a pattern of telling a story before the conflict happens? Is there a way that you could choose to back away from that? Choose to have a different kind of conflict than the ones that you're having. One that would honor God, where you would infuse some kindness and some compassion. So that maybe you could find a compromise that might make sense. This is our chance. Our chance to be a light in the world. I hope in this area of conflict, you'll allow your heart and mind to be adjusted toward Christ and that it will be different than those around you. Can I pray with you? God, it's impossible for us to see all conflict go away. It's just too many differences. You, you made us different on purpose. And the differences actually cause us to grow and change and we're challenged. It's a good thing. 
But right now in our culture, there is so much of it happening in these interpersonal relationships with people that is tearing people to pieces. God, I ask you would help us to examine, are we walking into those kind of situations having told a story, having prepared ourselves for the fight of a lifetime, and now we're just going to go down that path, even though that's not what you would choose for us? Are we inventing a story based on just a few facts, and we're not willing to gather them all and listen carefully, be slow to speak, slow to anger. God, you have a design for how we would have conflict with each other. I ask that you would give us the courage to embrace that, to back away from these stories that tell us lies. We want to be a light in your world. God, give us the courage to adjust our course and be that light. In Jesus' name, amen.